Grace and peace to you who have come for this hour of worship. Glad to see you here with us today. A um, couple of announcements to share with you before we begin our worship time. Um, the Sunday night program for our children resumes this evening, but there's a slight change in the location. We're asking um, all the children to come to the Family Life Center first, so parents bring them there at 5.30 and also come back there at 7 um, to pick your child up. So uh, that's going to be, uh, just keeps us from going hither, thither, and yon, and not knowing where to drop children off. So just come to the fellowship hall, I mean to the um, Family Life Center tonight. Um, Education Council meets at 3 o'clock this afternoon in the social hall. Council on Ministries will meet today at 4 in the social hall. The administrative board will meet two Sundays from today uh, after the uh, 11 o'clock worship service. Um, and I'm supposed to call on Eric Jeter, I think, to come and share a word with us. And as he comes, let me say that confirmation class for sixth graders and above will begin next Sunday afternoon at 5.30 if you'll just come to the Family Life Center. Good morning. Good morning. We want to thank all of you for your support last Sunday night in our fourth annual Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner. Uh, we really appreciate all who came and donated uh, something to the auctions. Um, to give a little overview on how the event went last year, we gave $3,000 to the general budget and $700 to Greer Community Ministries. Um, this year we decided to put our focus more on the general budget. We, uh, with that being said, we gave $4,175 all towards the general budget this year. Um, uh, great event. Uh, very proud to be a part of it, and just uh, thank you so much for your support in this event. And uh, God continues to bless our church and our community. We appreciate everything that you did for this event. Thank you. And one of the ways that God blesses this church is through a hard-working group of young adults. And some of you all who had some wonderful crafts made and, and articles that you shared for the sale, most generous. And so... Uh, uh, God blesses, and you do too, so thank you very much. This coming Saturday night at 6 o'clock, the children's basketball uh, bank will, will be held, and that will include a, a free supper, or a, I think it's a supper with a um, love offering taken for it after the fact. But that is this coming Saturday night at 6 o'clock in the Family Life Center, children, not youth, but the... the uh, children's age basketball program. Also, the pictures from our 125th anniversary have been framed and hung out here on the wall to, as you go toward the parking lot. Um, this has been the work of Carm Hudson and Mary Hudson, and uh, we appreciate them for doing this, so be sure to stop by and see that uh, the next time you're in this hall right out here. Also, this coming Saturday, the Relay for Life group invites you to a benefit breakfast at Fats Cafe for a seven o'clock, try again, a seven dollar breakfast. Proceeds uh, go um, toward the Relay for Life program. The breakfast runs from 7.30 until 10 a.m. and children eat free, I believe. So that's a Children under four, oh, that's a big difference. <clears throat> Children under four eat, eat free, okay. Uh, I'm just four, so that's work for me. Uh, okay, I think that's all of our announcements. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join uh, Harriet Johnson for a few moments of sharing. all have book bags, backpacks, are yours heavy like mine? No? Well, I keep putting stuff in mine and finally I have to look and see what's in there that makes it so heavy. And a lot of times I can take things out that aren't heavy um, and make it a little bit easier. Who carries book bags other than students or backpacks? Who needs a backpack? Pardon me? Hikers need backpacks. Do, campers? Or could they get heavy? Do you hike? I bet you do. No, little. And do you get to carry all the heavy stuff or do mom and dad carry all the heavy stuff? <laughs> Your dad does. Well, is, is there anybody else that you can think of that might need a backpack? Yeah. And what would God need in his backpack? All the things he uses to take care of us? That's a good, that's a good idea. We'll have to ask him about that sometime won't we well i was thinking do soldiers carry backpacks yes they train with backpacks and then when they're off on maneuvers they need what would be in a soldier's backpack you think weights <laughs> when he's training they probably do put weights in them yes but um if he's off on a maneuver would he need food in his backpack Not, and water clothes rope so, so his army or marine stuff would have to be in there. Um, do you think he might be able to carry some personal things like his Bible or her Bible, her journal, um, maybe mementos from home? Well, Reverend Arthur's gonna mention some soldiers this morning, I think. He's talking to us again about the Beatitudes, the teachings of Jesus when he was on the mountain. And um, he mentions in those teachings um, soldiers, Roman soldiers. Um, in Jesus' time, mean, and I, Roman soldiers, were in his country and had, they were, had taken control of the Jewish people and the government that, that uh, handled the Jewish people. And they would be out on the streets and just trying to patrol and let everybody know that they were in charge. But they would have their backpacks with them because they would be traveling from place to place and they didn't have barracks always or hotels to stay in. And so when they were walking from uh, along the streets, they could order one of the Jewish citizens to carry their backpack for them. Well, the Jewish citizens didn't think this was a really good idea. Why do you think? But, you know, you carry your own things would be, yes. You, they, why would they have to carry it? But the law, the Romans had made it a law that the citizens had to carry their backpacks if they were asked. But the good thing was they only had to carry it for one mile. Now, how far do you think a mile might be? I checked it this morning. From here to McDonald's is one mile. So could you carry my backpack for me? to McDonald's for me, I'll meet you down there. I'll drive down there, but you have to walk because you're a Jewish citizen. 
Well, they just didn't think this was a very fair thing, like you're saying. Why should I have to carry somebody else's backpack? But Jesus knew that this was the law, and he knew that the people didn't like it very much. So he created a lesson around it. And in his teachings, he always wanted us to love everybody, even our enemies, and sometimes especially our enemies. He says it's real easy to love a friend. It's hard to love an enemy, or it's hard to love someone that's not nice to you. I bet you run into this at school. We don't have to worry about the Roman soldiers, do we? But do you ever have someone at school that must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed because they're mean as a snake, cranky, ornery, and they take it out on you? We have bullies, unfortunately, at school. But they're, they're saying things to you that are not very nice, insisting that you do things that you don't want to do or that are too hard to do. And Jesus tells, them, tells us that we're supposed to like these people. That's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard for me. I, when I asked Arthur about the scripture this morning, um, and he told me, what it was, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll just try to do something with the children. And then I got to looking at it, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm having, I need to be talking about something that, that's very hard for me to do sometimes. And so this is a lesson for me as well as for everybody else and for you all. These are the verses that I picked out of what Arthur's going to read. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, Jesus' idea is, I know my people are going to understand this. He knows that the, the people know he's talking about the Roman soldiers. And Jesus says, don't just walk one mile carrying that book bag, or excuse me, that backpack. Go two miles. We're thinking, whoa, Jesus, this is kind of hard. Then he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So even though somebody's not so nice to us, we want to pray for them, and we want to pray that they can feel God's love in their hearts and then be nicer. And rather than get mad and say something ugly back to them, if you do a good thing for them, they might see your example and might be able to follow that example and think, well, now, if it's working for her or for him, maybe it'll work for me. Now, even though this is hard, we, to, to love and like someone that's, that hurts our feelings, God will help us if we ask him to. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help me to be like you and love others, even the ones that are mean to me. Amen. Thank you. Jessica handed me a note during Harriet's uh, children's sermon that said, Harriet's mother, Miss Cloninger, is here. And she was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. So we think you did okay. We think. <laughs> and of course, we know that Harriet has learned how to love those that are difficult to learn. How long have you and Ralph been married now? <clears throat> Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 1 through 2, and then 9 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then going down to verse 9, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the aliens 
I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you do not share his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is again from Psalm 119 on page 842. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share God's word together responsively. <clears throat> Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities and give me life in your ways. Turn away the reproach which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your ordinances. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk at liberty, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before rulers, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. short epistle lesson today from 1st Corinthians um, chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 by the grace of God by the grace God has given me I laid the foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it but each one should be careful how he builds for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. Here ends the lesson.
Let us now join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, your ways are indeed high above our ways. You've told us not to depend upon our own understanding, but to look to your wisdom and ways, and we do that. But we confess to you that it certainly isn't natural to us to follow your example of turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and being generous to giving those who ask of us and giving our coats as well as our shirts to those who sue us. We find these to be certainly exalted, lofty ideas. And yet we know that there has never been any force in all the universe like your love. For your love created all that is, and your love has a way to turn around the hardest of hearts and change the hardest of criminal minds even to come back to your way and your will. And so we come to you without completely understanding, saying we'll try. We will put into practice the teachings of Jesus if you will help us. If you will remind us this week when something happens and we react in our natural human way. If your spirit will remind us, we will work on turning the other cheek of going that extra mile, of being like Jesus. We recognize, Lord, that there's never been any life on this earth that compares in its power as the life of Jesus. And his life continues to bear fruit among us in our day as people learn of your love and your pardon. We are thankful about one thing, Lord, and that is that your ways are not our ways when it comes to forgiving and forgetting. For we hold grudges for a very long time. How wonderful it is to hear the good news that when we confess our sins to you, you remove them from us as far as the east is from the west, and they're lost to your mind and memory as well. We pray, Lord, that you might give us your kind of amnesia so that we might pass on forgiveness to those who have trespassed against us. We're grateful for your presence with our friends and family members in times of illness and grief. We sometimes wonder how we're going to get through something, and we find that we do because you enable us to. And so we remember again those who are sick and those who are frail, those who are in times of great difficulties and stress and depression and uncertainty about their future. We're grateful to know that with your presence with them, they will not only go through it, but they will be victorious. As we pray in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
last week after I had talked about annual conference and some of the more memorable, colorful preachers we used to have, I was reminded about one that I left out, George. And you probably remember who this gentleman was. That was years ago, because I was still a young preacher. And this preacher was retiring. And he got up on the floor of the annual conference and chastised us younger preachers who wanted to get to bigger and bigger and bigger churches. And then he said to us, you will learn that the more members you got, the more devil you got. Remember that? And some of you might say the more preachers you got, but that's another story. We did have some uh, memorable preachers back uh, in days gone by. From Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, here now the gospel lesson for the day. Jesus is continuing his long Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your Father is perfect. Here ends the lesson. Ah, life in the 1950s. Living in a brand new house, thanks to a VA loan to a World War II veteran. Memories of helping my mother rinse the washing using our brand new ringer washer. Anybody else remember those old things? Always having to be careful you didn't get your fingers stuck in the ringer. Helping my mother hang clothes out in the backyard on the solar dryer, otherwise known as a clothesline. Used to love it when the sheets would freeze on the clothesline before they could dry. I would love to go and hit them and hear them crack as as you hit them with your dirty fingers, and of course then mother had to wash them again. But being in the first wave of baby boomers, I was spoiled by having a stay-at-home mom for a while who read books nonstop to my sister and me every day. I believe my favorite story was the Joel Chandler Harris tale about Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and the Tar Baby. A story that for a while longer will remain politically incorrect due to the fact that it utilizes an Amer African-American dialect in telling the story. But since my mother had a Charlestonian accent because her mother had been raised in a Methodist parsonage in Charleston, I thought everybody talked that way. Plus, I lived in Whitney where they didn't know good English anyway. <clears throat> but I digress. The great lesson that I learned from the Tar Baby story, it was a wonderful story for a little boy, was that you could use your brain instead of your fist and your brawn to overcome adversaries. First, you remember that when all other methods of catching the rabbit failed, <laughs> Br'er Fox used his brain and created the Tar Baby. And when the tar baby wouldn't speak to him, Br'er Rabbit got so mad that he started pounding the figure with his fists and his feet until he was hopelessly mired in the tar. But whereas his fist got him into trouble, Br'er Rabbit used his brain to get out of trouble, convincing the fox that there could be nothing worse for a rabbit than to be thrown over in the briar patch. 
Once in the briars, Br'er Rabbit cleaned himself up and got away. The lesson was crystal clear. Use your brain and a little bit of humor, and you can find lots of peaceful ways to get out of trouble in life. That was a life lesson I have often employed. One time it even got me a job when I'd already been turned down. And I had real long hair back then. And as I was leaving, I met the plant owner, the boss. And I said, I'm Arthur Holt. And he said, Martha who? <laughs> and I smiled and said, yep, time for that haircut. He turned and said, give that man a job. And I went to work. Soft answers do turn away wrath and open doors. And as we continue our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus saying words that indicate that if we'll use our brain and our spiritual resources instead of our brawn, we'll find things that work well in his kingdom. Jesus suggests some very strange behavior to us when we find ourselves in some hostile circumstances. Behaviors that are clearly designed to short-circuit the brains of our adversaries, to make them stop and think about what they're doing. As long as we respond with hostility when we're in a hostile situation, which is what they expect, they will continue in their normal ways. But when we surprise them by reacting differently than they expect, our actions just might cause a change in that other person. Jesus was certain that there was something about this crazy little thing called love, love that was more powerful than any other force that existed on the planet. Now, of course, we don't follow Jesus' example just to uh, change people. We follow his example because it's his example, and we do what we're supposed to do. It is being Christ-like. Jesus, you will remember, practiced his own words, and his enemies didn't always change. He turned the other cheek, and still he was crucified. If we're going to successfully put into practice the words of Jesus, we must first accept the idea that we are to obey them because it is what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we will suffer anyway. But if we and our brothers and sisters will consistently practice Jesus' words, we may find some wonderful things happen right before our eyes. As the Apostle Paul wrote, quoting the Old Testament, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I think you and I are fairly familiar with the concept of turning the other cheek and of giving your coat as well as your shirt. We're not to return insults with insults, but to repay evil with good. Going the second mile might not be quite as familiar to you, especially not the way that idea came into existence. We know that the phrase means doing twice what is expected of us. But in the days of Roman occupation, as Harriet was telling us, a Roman soldier could press you into duty, even if you were uh, someone who did not care for their presence in your country. They could force you to carry their load for them. But Roman law did put limits on that. One mile was all you had to do that. Can you imagine what Jesus' hearers must have thought that day? When Jesus suggested that his followers ought to carry the possessions of Roman soldiers, those enemies of Israel, for a second mile, some undoubtedly thought that Jesus' words were very unpatriotic, especially considering how the zealots were hoping that the, the Messiah would be the one who would lead a rebellion and liberate Israel from Caesar they had to find Jesus' words most shocking to them. It's important for you to understand the setting for that phrase so that you don't get the idea going the second mile is just some pleasant little idea. When Jesus said it, it was controversial. He was talking about a willingness to be helpful 
to a hostile and hated enemy. Jesus gave us his reason for doing this, nothing less than the example of Almighty God himself. God loves everybody, Jesus said. He causes the sun to shine on evil and good people. And he sends rain upon righteous people and the unrighteous. You and I are so accustomed to thinking of of rain as being a negative thing that we hear the words uh, to us that that God sends uh, rain to us and we think we're talking about, well, God sends curses to us. But that's not it at all. In that very dry climate, rain was always a blessing. Jesus says that God sends blessings in the form of sunshine and rain showers on good and evil people just alike, just the same. And he encourages us to be God's children who copy God's example, loving our friends and enemies the same. Then in a somewhat humorous fashion, he adds, if you love only those that love you, how are you any different or any better than everybody else from pagans and tax collectors? They do that much. Certainly, you're going to do more than that if you're going to be children of God. And then Jesus calls them on in the direction of perfection, or more accurately, the word means maturity, to actions and attitudes akin to God's mature attitudes and actions. And as I said, we're to do this regardless of the results. Sometimes nothing happens that we can see, but sometimes the results are amazing. Just think about the last century. Indian leader Mahatma Gandhi read the words of Jesus. And even though he was not a practitioner of the Christian faith, he admired it greatly and put it into action and did something that armed conflict couldn't do. He liberated his homeland from foreign occupation. Martin Luther King was so impressed with what Gandhi had done that he decided to use the same method to draw attention to the unfair racial laws and customs of our country. And just last week, we saw the power of a group of peace-loving citizens in Egypt who practice loving, peaceful, civil disobedience. We are yet to see the final results, of course, but for now, they succeeded in bringing down a dictator. I really hope the terrorists of our world are seeing that their hate-filled actions fail while loving actions succeed. But in our individual lives, you and I can find the joy of seeing people around us changed by actions of God's love. Back in the 1970s, uh, the story of Nikki Cruz became widely known because of the book and later the movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. Nikki Cruz was the leader of a New York Puerto Rican gang and a young preacher named David Wilkerson felt called to go to New York City and to work with those drug-addicted, troubled teenagers. When they first met, the preacher told the gang leader that Jesus loved him and would never <laughs> stop loving him. Nikki Cruz responded to this good news by slapping Wilkerson and threatening to kill him. To this threat, Dave Wilkerson re replied, Nikki, you could cut me up in a thousand pieces, but every piece would still say to you that Jesus loves you. After more encounters like this, tough guy Nikki Cruz was one to Christ. And he went on to have a very successful ministry of his own with troubled youth in New York and other places. You see, love can reach the coldest heart. The most dramatic experience that I ever had with the power of God's love dates back to the summer of 1971 when I was a college student. I went to work with teenaged boys in a reform school. Boys who were there because the courts had placed them there after some scrape with the law. The boys were bigger than I was. 
And as a college student, I was a bit too young to be considered an authoritative adult. And so they were constantly taking advantage of me. One young man named Jimmy especially had no use for me at all. And after supper one evening, I was assigned the duty of running the study hall, making sure that the boy sat down and studied. But Jimmy was determined he was going to defy my authority. He insisted that he was going to play pool instead of study. I ordered him to sit down. He ignored me. Every other boy laughed. And Jimmy always kept the pool table between him and me so that I couldn't reach him. I remember how angry I was as the anger just welled up inside of me to the point I was determined to make this kid sit down and study or else I was going to get whipped trying, and that probably was what was going to happen. So when he wasn't looking, I grabbed a broom and pinned him against the pool table until I could run around and grab him. And together he and I wrestled and rolled outside into the courtyard where he broke free and stood up assuming a boxing stance and began threatening to whip me. I was fuming when the most amazing thing happened inside of me. And I can only say it must have been God who let me see Jimmy in an entirely different light right that moment. What I saw was a 14-year-old boy who had never known what it was to be loved by a mother or a father. A youth who was sick and tired of being unloved and kicked around. And so, seeing him in that light, I began talking to him. Jimmy, I don't care whether or not you obey me. I do care about you making something of your life. And that means studying. I love you and I want you to go back inside and study so that you can have a good life. You shut up, he screamed. Nobody loves me. Nobody. I replied, Jimmy, you're wrong. All of us counselors who work here do so because we love you. And God loves you, Jimmy. That's why we're here. Man, you shut up, he screamed, and he drew back his right fist as if he was preparing to hit me. And I remember praying, Lord, if he hits me, Please give me the strength to get up, spit out my teeth, and tell him I still love him. His fist came flying right toward me and stopped a fraction of an inch from my mouth. Ha, ha, I made you flinch, he said, and he ran back inside the building, leaving me standing out there shaking. It wasn't until the next evening, though, that I I learned that Jimmy had gotten the message. As I walked in dreadfully into the study hall again to be in charge, I heard Jimmy standing up saying to his friends, listen, we've all got to study so that we can make something out of our lives. So don't give Arthur any trouble tonight. Never had any more trouble out of Jimmy. You see, God's love is powerful. It can work wonders in the hardest of hearts. Jesus came to inaugurate a kingdom of love on earth. He believed that tyrannical power would fail because God's love was stronger. He believed that he could get his love living in each one of his followers, and if each one of us would reach out and love someone who would in turn reach out and love someone, then God's love would change life of every man, woman, and child here on the earth. Jesus still believes that today. And he calls us to spiritual maturity, the maturity that God, our Heavenly Father, possesses. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. May we pursue maturity. Amen.